morning, 11 a.m. How's everybody doing? Good, good. I want to welcome uh, our uh, online audience that's tuning in. Uh, and our crowd, is, we're, we're kind of getting back to where uh, uh, people are deciding to come back, and that's a good thing. Because it was fine uh, preaching to my wife and a few others and online, but I would much prefer this. Uh, don't make me regret that today. So, um, now, uh, I got up uh, yesterday morning, um, did my devotional, and turned on the TV and began to watch the uh, violence erupting, began to watch the riots erupting and, uh, and, and, and the unrest in our country. Um, it made me angry, and it broke my heart. Um, so I, I got up, and I came on into the church, uh, which I, I usually don't come in on Saturdays, and God began to, to take me in a different direction for today's message. And I am uh, sitting there, and a incredibly nice couple, they, I hear the door, the, the buzzer ring on the door, and meet this uh, couple that's just moved here, and they asked about the service, and I'm like, I'm never here. And then after that, I'm thinking, man, if they show up tomorrow, they're going to hear what we are about as Watts Bar Church, who we are as a community. Uh, so I, I watched the video of the killing of George Floyd. Hard to watch. It was heartbreaking and, um, and just very sad to watch. And it made me angry. Can I say it should make us angry? It should. It should make us mad. It should. I, I, and I, I think here what we'd like to say and pretend is that racism, prejudice is, is a thing of the past. But if that's your mindset, you are in great denial. And, and it, it's not just in the South. Come on. And, and, uh, and I know this is a touchy subject, but I also know this. As followers of Jesus, we cannot afford to bury our heads in the sand and act like nothing is happening around us. How do we as followers of Jesus respond to this? I, I, I think it's something we've got to answer. Because I think if Watts Bar Church, this church, this community, is going to be the church that God created us to be, then we're going to deal with some things biblically. Whether it's popular or not. Amen? God, God didn't call us to be popular. He called us to preach the gospel. And, and I believe as followers of Jesus, we should be leading the way when it comes to showing love, grace, forgiveness, and acceptance instead of throwing fuel on the fire of hatred. So, so today, man, I, I'm going to be in the uh, Luke, Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. Um, if you got a Bible, you can turn there. If not, I'm going to have it up here on the screen for you. And a little backstory before we jump into the Scripture. Uh, you know, the, the religious teachers, Pharisees, are all the time trying to trip Jesus up, trying to get him to make, say something or do something. And that's what's going on here with a lawyer, uh, starting with verse 25. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to test, put Jesus to test. 
says, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, I love Jesus' response, What's written in the law and how do you interpret it? How do you read it? Believe it or not, it's important how you interpret Scripture, how you read it. And then the, the lawyer answered, uh, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to them, You've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? If you're one of those that underline little things in your Bible or highlight, I encourage, highlight that uh, desiring to justify himself. Because this guy's a lawyer. And what he's used to doing is looking at contracts and finding loopholes or escape clauses. Are you here? And that's what he's doing here. He's looking for an escape clause. He's trying to justify himself. What's he trying to justify? Jesus, tell me, who's my neighbor? Who do I have to love? Who do I have to care about? Come on. Who, who is my neighbor? And he wanted to justify us. And honestly, it's easy for us to point fingers and talk about what a terrible, horrible person he is. But let's be real and take the mask off, church. We do it too. Justify who we like or who we don't like. In fact, I, I'll say this. Uh, why we do it? Because loving God is a lot easier than loving people. Come on, it's a lot easier than loving your neighbor. Well, I mean, let's be real. Loving God, okay, he, you can't tangibly really see him. Uh, you know, he's, uh, he, he rarely speaks audibly, he has. But, but, and even if he is speaking and you don't want to hear him, you can tune him out. But your neighbor, they're right there. They say stuff you don't like. They post stuff on social media you don't like. Come on. They don't believe like you believe. Come on. Are, are, anybody, are, are we going to be honest today? I mean, they're right there. So I think the lawyer is just being human, and he's like, I've got the God thing down. It's the neighbors I'm having problems with, Jesus. And I think that's just human. He says, who exactly is my neighbor? Jesus, could you give me some clarification? Do I have to love people that aren't as educated as me? Do I have to love people that listen to a different style of music than me? Do I have to love people that have piercings, tattoos, uh, stupid haircuts? Do, do I have to love people that have a different accent than I do? Do I have to love people that have a different skin color? And that's what the lawyer really wants to know. Jesus, tell me. Tell me, who, who, who is my neighbor? I want to justify my racism, my prejudice, and my biasness. And Jesus replied. I love Jesus because he just starts telling stories. <laughs> Jesus said, hey, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho is the main road, well-traveled. And a man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers who stripped him, beat him, departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw the man, 
he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, Jesus is a master storyteller. He knows his audience, and he knows how to work the story to draw them in. Because he says, a, a Jewish priest, a Levite, these were prestigious roles in the community. These were people that, that held authority in their communities. Men who should do the right thing, yet both of them walked by. In fact, they crossed the street so they don't have to deal with what's happening right here. Much like what we saw happen the past few days. And Jesus, knowing his audience, he knows, man, the Jewish priests, Levites, those are our people. But then... He's going to throw a little wrench in, in the mix here in, into this story because verse 33 says, but a Samaritan. Now, the moment Jesus said Samaritan, you, you, you could have watched uh, their demeanor start to change and scowls come across their face. Why? Because the Jews had a fierce hatred for the Samaritans. Uh, that, that went back 700 plus years when, when the Jewish people were in exile and, and, and some of them stayed behind. So those that stayed behind began to intermarry with other races and, and the offspring of that was the Samaritans. So to the Jews, Samaritans were half-breeds. They were less than. They weren't as good as them. And, and so Jesus said that, but, but let's be honest, see, when you as an individual or as a people group are hated by another person or people group, what is your automatic response? Hate them back. You hate me, I'm going to hate you. And that's what happened. The Jews hated the Samaritans, so the Samaritans hated the Jewish people right back. And, and it says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring oil on oil and wine. You would think those listening would have thought, how compassionate, man. This is great. But this is only adding fuel to the fire with Jesus saying that. Because those listening on are thinking this. What is a Samaritan doing in the same story as a Jewish priest and a Levite? Furthermore, why is Jesus making the Samaritan out to be the good guy and making the others to be the bad guy? Jesus said, hey, the Samaritan went to him, bound up his wounds, poured oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn, took care of him, 35. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend... I will repay you when I come back. Martin Luther said this. He said about this story. He said, the first question that the priest and the Levite asked when they crossed this guy was, if I stop and help this man, what will happen to me? He said, the Samaritan reversed the question. and said, if I don't stop and help this man, what will happen to him? I tell you, that's the heart of the gospel. When Jesus sees us, if I don't do something, what will happen to them? But yet we've reversed it somehow and think, what will happen to me? 
listen, if you're new here to this church, if it's your first time with us, we make our mission statement, our vision statement very simple. So it's easy, easy to get. It's in your notes. It's this. Our mission statement is this. To love God, love people, serve others. Say that. Love God. Well, PK, what about those different from us? Especially those different from us. The, uh, Den Dennis Leary said this about racism. He said, racism isn't born, it's taught. I have a two-year-old son. You know what he hates? Naps. End of list. <laughs> You're not born a racist. It's not inherited. You're taught. It's something you're taught. You, you, talk. you don't come out of, your, out of the womb hating somebody's skin color. It's taught. And I know this is a tough issue because I've wrestled with feelings and thoughts over the past week or so. But here's the truth that we cannot deny. Racism isn't a skin issue. It is a sin issue, period. Period. Kelly, that, that, it's not. It's just personal preference. But what does the Bible say? If you favor some people over others, you're committing sin. I think that's pretty clear. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, we are, we are commanded to love our neighbors. Uh, regardless of religious preference, regardless of, uh, uh, of where they're from, their background, whether they're from here or not. I'll even say that regardless of sexual preference, we are called to love our neighbor. Love our neighbor. You don't, you're not going to win anybody by spewing hate. Man, I hope you are with me. Jesus finishes up the story, and uh, I love what Jesus does here. He always asks a question. I, I mean, the, 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 uh, the lawyer's like, okay, thank you, Jesus. Uh, I'm getting ready to walk away. No, 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 let, let me ask you something. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? Lawyer's like, Jesus, all I asked was, who is my neighbor? But Jesus is saying, well, I'm asking you, who proved to be a neighbor? Who was actually a neighbor to this man? And the lawyer responds, and the way he responds, I think, says a whole lot about him. He said, the one who showed him mercy. Racism and hate against the Samaritans is so ingrained in this person, he can't even say, well, the Samaritan that showed him mercy, all he can say is, the one, the one, and Jesus says, yeah, and you go and do likewise. Here's what you need to understand. When Jesus said, go and do likewise, he wasn't saying, hey, go give it your best shot. Go, go, go try your best. When Jesus said, go and do likewise, what Jesus was saying was this, go do that 100% of the time. Go act, live, respond, and serve like the Samaritan, and you'll, you can go to heaven. The story ends. Talking about a cliffhanger. There's no next season to find out what happens. That's just the end of the story. Go and do likewise. I've got to be honest. 
If I'm the lawyer, and Jesus says, go love your neighbor, do that 100% of the time every day, I mean, just love them, I'm thinking, man, that's, Jesus, I don't that's tough. I don't know, come on, I'm going to be honest. I have a hard time loving people that just get on my nerves sometimes. Much less people that hate me. Much less people that get on uh, social media and blast me. Much less people that love me. And Jesus says, hey, go be the good Samaritan. Go love like that. So here, here, here's your assignment. What's the bar? Y'all ready? We're going to have what we're going to call the Samaritan Project. Okay? Today, when you go out and you eat at that restaurant, I want you to double up on your tip. Some of you, that means you're going to have to tip. Uh, <laughs> Don't ever tell them where you go. Don't ever not leave a tip. You better leave a good tip if you tell them you go to this church. <laughs> and so I want you to leave, double up on that tip. And then what I want you to do later, I want you to write down 10 people that you can just reach out to, be nice to, compliment, do something for. Then I want you to write down five things that you can do to better the community. Here's the thing. That, those are great. We should do those things. But can we be honest? If those things weren't, this country would have healed itself long ago. We need something more than that. We need something more than a bunch of good intentions. So as Christians, as followers of Jesus, what is our response? How do we love people different from us? How do we love people we don't understand? The first thing is this. We must recognize our own prejudices. Here's what I mean. We've got to start being honest and look in the mirror and see and recognize the prejudices we've got in our own life. And that's hard to do when you respond like the lawyer does and you start trying to justify why you feel the way you do about certain people. Come on. It's hard to do. You ever said something like or heard somebody say something I'm not racist, but let me stop you right there. Nothing good comes after that but. Nothing. Let's call it what it is. It's sin. And when we call it what it is, we can repent and ask God to deal with it. But as long as we deny it, come on. Let's call it what it is. See, here's the truth. Even if our prejudices or racist mindset isn't intentional, it's still real, and it's still sin. Every, every, every person in this room has, has the ability to make assumptions about someone else or some other people group. You, you've got the ability to make wrong judgments. About, let me prove it to you. Um, I'm going to call out a few that many of I thought, and I, if you're honest, you thought them too, uh, uh, let, let me let me go ahead and tell you because the first one that's when I called out one of the things you thought we had somebody yeah I thought it now just raise your hand in your mind this is not confession not confession time but we thought hey all overweight people they're just lazy I'm talking about assumptions we make all used car salesmen crooks And it'll laugh in your mind, too, if you don't mind. <laughs> All politicians are liars? Okay. Let me just... No, I'm just... 
This here, well, how about this one? This generation is nothing but a bunch of selfish and lazy kids. Assumptions. All televangelists are con artists. Asians can't drive. White people can't dance or jump. Okay, that one's a little true. Black people can't swim. Mayonnaise is their kryptonite. I've got black friends. Go ask them. No, no, mayonnaise swim. All Southerners are racist rednecks. See, I could go on because the truth is this. We all grew up with wrong assumptions about people or people groups. And we've got to have the courage to take a long, hard look in the mirror and realize, man, this is my prejudice. And God, I want you to deal with it right here, right now. I'm tired of denying it. It's real. It's sin. You take care of it. We've got to do that. The second thing we've got to do is we must seek to understand. Instead of making assumptions about why they're doing this, why they're saying that. Well, Kelly, I would never do anything like they're doing. I would never say such a thing. To you, I would say this. Don't say what you would or wouldn't do until you've walked a few miles in their shoes and have been where they're at. I was talking to my brother Chris yesterday about this and telling him that God began to change my, my, my mind about where I was going to preach today. And, and, and we began to talk about the, the, what, what has gone on over the few days. And he, he made this statement. I said, man, send me that statement. Because it's so powerful. And he said this. He said, I know enough about pain in my personal life to know that pain not adequately dealt with always has a way of erupting in ways that are less than who we are and who we have been called to become. I think there's a lot of pain that's not been dealt with in this world. I think there's a lot of pain that's not been dealt with in the African-American community and communities that are impoverished. I think there's a lot of hurt in our society that has not been dealt with. And when you don't, when you haven't never dealt with it or ever seen it dealt with, you don't know how to respond, so it just comes out angry. We've got to seek to understand. Because I'm going to be, I'm going to be very honest with you guys today, as I am always. I, I, I don't understand what the African American community goes through daily. As a parent. I've not once, I never had to train my child how to respond if a cop pulls them over to keep their hands on the dashboard, to keep them where they can see them, to not reach for their cell phone. Not, I've never had to do that. I, I've never, uh, I, I've never uh, uh, had the cops called on me because I look like I didn't belong in a certain neighborhood. Come on, uh, is this real enough for you? And we've got to quit jumping to these assumptions and start trying and seeking to understand the unfairness they feel, the uneasiness, the anger they're feeling. We've at least got to say, hey, what, what happened to make you feel this way? What's going on in your world? See where they're coming from, the abuse they endured, the mistreatment, the rejection, where they come from. Seek to understand. There are those here today that could tell you stories about how they were looked upon with, with prejudice or, or biasness. Maybe it's not the color of your skin, but there's some in here who know what it's like to have to go to school or send your kid to school 
And all the other kids have got on, on new clothes. And you have to show up with hand-me-downs. And you wonder, what are they saying about me? Or you're, you're here and because of situations. You're, you, 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 you're on food stamps. You're on, on government subsidies. And, 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 and you know what it's like for people to make assumptions about why you're there. We've got to stop making assumptions about that. There's stories upon stories that I'm telling you as followers of Jesus. It is our responsibility to be the solution to the problem, not throw gas on the fire. And it starts by recognizing our own prejudices, seeking to understand of others. We must reach out to those that are different from us. We've got to. See, we can say, love God, love people, serve others. But it's just, that's, those are just words until you put some action behind it. Those are just words. Yeah, hey, and I'm going to tell you, the, the, the Bible says this. Listen, you can do all these great things, but if you're not actually loving people, you're just a bunch of hot air. That's Kelly's interpretation of it. Here's what you need to understand. Racism isn't just the presence of hatred. Racism is the absence of love. Racism isn't just the hatred that we spew from our mouths, but it's when we don't show uh, someone else or a people group that they're accepted, that they're loved, that they're wanted, that they can, I, I'm telling you, that is just as bad as spewing it. You, you know what, when, when Jesus said, hey, told the lawyer, go, go do likewise, you go do what the Samaritan did. Do you know how the lawyer should have responded? Instead of trying to justify himself. Should have said, Jesus, that's impossible. There's no way I can do that. And I think Jesus would have looked back at him and smiled and said, You're absolutely right. You can't do that. Because if you can live like me, you don't need me. Come, are you hearing me? Jesus is like, If you can do all this the right way 100% of the time, you can save yourself. See, when you pull back all the layers of this story that Jesus is telling here, here, do you know who the story's about? Do you know who the good Samaritan actually is in this story? It's Jesus. Jesus is the good Samaritan. The entire Bible from Old Testament to New is pointing us to Jesus. And do you know who the man lying in a ditch on the side of the road, stripped of his dignity, left for dead? Others are walking by, acting like they're not there. You know who that is? That's you. It's me, George Floyd. We're the ones on the side of the road that have been stripped of our identity, our dignity. The ones lying there broken. And here's the thing along comes the Jewish priest. Along comes the Levi, the law. But here's the problem when it comes to me and the mess I've made of my life, the law can't even come close to rescuing me. And it just goes on by. Law could, the law couldn't do anything to heal my brokenness. To heal your brokenness. 
traditions, rural denominations, powerless. But the good Samaritan, Jesus, he found me. And the shape of, and here, here's the thing about Jesus. When he found me, he didn't say, hey, let me ask you, how'd you wind up in this mess? What mistakes did you make to get yourself here? How many times did I tell you to quit that? It was going to cost you. Or he didn't say, hey, how about this? How about you go clean yourself up a little bit? Then I'll come back and help you. The good Samaritan Jesus found you, found me, right where we were, right in our mess, bleeding, broken. And he said, listen, let me, let me do what nobody else can do. Let me pour oil on those. You know what oil symbolizes? Holy Spirit. Let me bandage you up. I know others have walked by you acting like you were trash. I know others have walked by you acting like you weren't looking. But not me. I'm here. Jesus is the good Samaritan. And I love Jesus' final instructions when he dropped the Samaritan off. Gave him to the narrow eye. Then he said, hey, hey, and whatever debt, if you have to put more money into him, more resources into him, when I get back, consider the debt covered. You see, what the disease we've got, what's going on, our brokenness, we can't afford the operation to fix it. And so Jesus says, listen, whatever they need, I'm covering it. Whatever needs to happen in their heart, in their life, the debt, consider the debt paid when I get back. It's going to be covered. See, when Jesus looked at that lawyer and said, go, do what the Samaritan Jesus said. Listen, if you can live like me, you don't need me. And listen, we have watched this world just implode. We've watched COVID-19 and now this go on. And we can list countless others. And here's the truth, guys. It doesn't take ISIS or some other uh, terrorist group to, to, to uh, uh, bring destruction to America. We're doing it to ourselves. We're killing ourselves. And it's obvious to me we are in desperate need of a Savior. The lawyer looked at me. He's looking for an escape clause, and he asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? And you know what's sad to me? Over 2,000 years ago, we're still looking for an escape clause and asking, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? I'll tell you who your neighbor is. Your neighbor is that waiter or waitress that waits on you at your favorite restaurant. Your neighbor is that person that's in front of you or behind you at the Walmart checkout. Your, your, your neighbor is that kid that's walking up and down the road in your neighborhood and you automatically assume they're up to no good. Your neighbor is that girl that you see out that is wearing next to nothing and in your mind you, you already got her classified as a trashy whore. Can we be real? That's your neighbor. Who's your neighbor? It's that mom and, or dad that you see wrestling with their child in, in, in a store or out somewhere, and you automatically say, oh, that man, they don't know how to parent. And you don't know what they've gone through. Who's your neighbor? That person that just lost someone at the hands of the police officer, justified or not. 
who's your neighbor? A loved one of a police officer that gave their life. Who's your neighbor? That gay couple that just moved into your neighborhood that everybody else is whispering about. Come on, there are no, there are no escape clauses when Jesus said, love your neighbor. easy to love those that look like us, think like us, dress like us, believe like us, have the same morals as us, and skin color. But love doesn't become a verb until we put those words into action and actually love people right where they're at. I don't want to be the lawyer in this story. I don't want you to be the lawyer in this story. I don't want us to spend most of our time looking for escape clauses and who we've got to love, who we've got to accept. I mean, there, there is no escape clause. It, when, when Jesus said, uh, command us to love our neighbor, he, he said what he meant, and he meant what he said. Love your neighbor. PK, how do we love them? Look at Romans 5, 8. I'm going to read you from the Passion. Christ proved God's passionate love for us. By dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. Still lost and ungodly. I love the way the message says it. But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were no use to him whatsoever. Newsflash. He didn't die for you because you were such a good person. He didn't die for you because he didn't look down and say, oh, I'm going to die for them. They've got their stuff together. They're really good people. Before we even called out his name, he died for us. He died for us. He loved me when I didn't deserve it. He did love me when I couldn't, when, when I can't earn it. And because of that, my obligation as a follower of Jesus is to reflect that same type of love wherever I go. Come on, church. It's quiet in here, but it's all right. Doesn't matter where you come from. Doesn't matter the color of your skin. Doesn't matter the size of your bank account. Uh, we, we, we've got, we've got run the gamut in here. We've got people in this that, that, that are on food stamps and we've got millionaires in this church. And that's what I love is because we come together and we are one in Christ. Listen, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you smell great or if, you need, or if they need to take a bath. It doesn't matter what the background is. It doesn't matter if, if someone talks with a different accent than I do. It doesn't matter if I live in a nice house or, or on the lake and, or in a one-bedroom trailer down the road. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're an addict. It doesn't matter if you're struggling with sexual issues. It doesn't matter if you're gay, lesbian, and bi. You are welcome in the in family of God, guys. I believe God loves us right where we are. And then he begins to change. Then he begins to do a work. Here's... And I pray those in our community that knows what it's like to feel the hurt, feel racism, I, I pray they will see the heart of God through us. I mean, I do. 
I do. I mean, there's a lot of hate going on in our world right now. There, there's a lot of, uh, of killings, senseless killings going on. There's a lot of anger, rage. There's a lot of addiction. There's a lot of poverty. Come on, things going on in our world. And it's obvious that our world is, it is in trouble. And you could throw a cross around your neck. You could put something on your, a bumper sticker about Christ on your car. You could tattoo your favorite scripture. You can say you believe in God, Jesus. You can go to church. But let me tell you, if your life doesn't line up with how Jesus said to love people, you're just a bunch of hot air. Let's close this thing out. If I can get the band to come on up. Paul said it like this. This is again is the passion. If I were to speak with eloquence in earth's many languages and in the heavenly tongues of angels, yet I didn't express myself with love, my words would be reduced to the hollow sound of nothing more than a clanging cymbal. If I were to have the gift of prophecy with profound understanding of God's hidden secrets, and if I possess unending supernatural knowledge, and if I had the greatest, if I had the greatest gift of faith that could move mountains, but have never learned to love, I'm nothing. And if I were to be so generous as to give away everything I own to feed the poor and to offer my body to be burned as a martyr without the pure motive of love, I would have gained nothing. Love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflate its own importance. And get this, love does not traffic in shame and disrespect. I just let that rest there for a moment. Nor selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter, for it never stops believing the best for others. Love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. The church that Jesus died for, that's what his church looked like. That's what we should strive to look like. See, we have, we have the antidote, the cure to what this world needs. But can I tell you, it doesn't matter if you're holding the antidote, if people can't get past your hate, if people can't get past your self-righteousness, if people can't get, uh, come on, can't get past your rules. What the good does it do if we've got the antidote? If when they look at us, all they see is judgment. close with this most people that have been in church are familiar with this scripture everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what saved popular verse but few know the verses leading up to that I don't even know where I'm at as the scriptures tell us anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced Paul makes sure they understand what he means by anyone. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. See, this problem we're dealing with, it's not something new. 
even back in Paul's days, he was dealing with it. He deals with it here in Romans, and then over in Galatians 3.28, he deals with it again. He says, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. There's no longer black, white, brown, red, yellow. There's no long, longer uh, those where you're on this social and other people are down here. We're all one in Christ. We're all one in Christ. Are you hearing me? Guys, if we want to be who Jesus called us to be, we've got to quit looking for escape clauses. And we've got to jump in wholeheartedly and just begin to love people and be a neighbor. Jesus said, love your neighbor. I've got a shirt that I love to wear. And I started to wear it today, but uh, the quarantine pounds have added up. Yeah. It says, love thy neighbor. It says, love thy homeless neighbor, Muslim neighbor, black neighbor, gay neighbor, immigrant neighbor, Jewish neighbor, Christian neighbor, atheist neighbor, addicted neighbor. When Jesus said, love your neighbor, there were no escape clauses. I want to close out with this.